I would invite you to turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 2. I feel like I've, it's been you know, three or four weeks since I've been in the pulpit, and, and I'm just glad to be back here. I appreciate those men who have uh, faithfully preached the word while I was incapacitated or, or gone, and um, a lot of things happened in the past three weeks, three or four weeks. So, Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to begin in verse 15 just to set the context, and we'll go through verse 20. Verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a I will make a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God caused the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called the living creature that was its name. The Lord God name uh, the man gave names to all of the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for just knowing that you are a God who is here, who is in our midst. You are loving and kind and you are gracious to us you sustain our very life our lives are in your hand lord we depend upon you father now as we come to look into your word i pray that it would minister to our hearts may it work its work in our lives to produce a righteousness that that needs to be there that can reflect your glory, that this world needs to see. Lord, help us to be light and salt in this world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, uh, Moses is giving us the first problem in all of the universe. It's amazing to me when you think about that. this is this first little phrase, it is not good. It comes as a, a jarring contrast to every day God looking and evaluating and coming to the conclusion that it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he all of a sudden says it is not good. And that that should be a, a red light, a, a siren going off or a big billboard, a, a sign that, that's... Uh, getting our attention to this problem. There is a problem. Now, we don't even think about it anymore, really, many times. And, but we, we, have, we deal with problems every day. In fact, many times a day, we just go from one problem to the next problem. Sometimes, um, sometimes we uh, just make a mountain out of a molehill... And just for drama's sake, we, pre- we make problems more than they really are. I'm not sure why we do that as, as creatures. 
But that's what we do. We embellish and we make things bigger than what they really are. But God doesn't do that. When He says that there is a problem, there is a problem. It's a real problem. Everything is not ideal. It is not the way it should be. Something needs to be corrected. Now you put it in the context here. This is the Garden of Eden. This is paradise. And there's a problem in paradise. That's just a contradiction. It's like the the check engine light comes on. And it cannot be ignored. At some point you have to deal with that. And that's the situation here. Now the book of Genesis in general is is a, uh, a book of... Of origins, and Moses is, is pointing out to us, he's giving to us the need and the process by which God, pro, God provides a companion for Adam. The very beginning stage of the very beginning of, of life for Adam, life for humans. And you think, we already know this story. We already know this stuff. Why do we need to, why do we need to go over this? Because this is, this is truth that we live our lives by. These are principles that we really don't even think about anymore. And what Moses is doing here is he's laying out for us reality. And that's a reality that we live in. And like I said, we don't even, we don't even think about it anymore. But folks, it's a reality that the world is trying to abandon in their rejection of God. They've rejected God in their hearts already. And now they're trying to abandon that reality, that perspective, that worldview that that we have that has been part of a culture for so many, many years. And the further society moves away from biblical understanding of, of gender, biblical understanding of of uh, Family, God's design for family, the more unhealthy a society will become. Let me say that again. The further we move away from these very basic principles, very basic understanding, these things that shape our worldview, the things that Moses has, has given to us here, the further we move away from those things, the more unhealthy society will become. And the less, the less Society is going to reflect God's glory. Now, man will never create a society better than what God has designed. Man will never be able to do that. Man cannot improve upon God's design. So we see in these verses, we see a solution to many of the problems that we find today. It's just rooted in these few verses here. Now, the focus is on one problem. <laughs> and in solving that one problem, it, God answers many of our problems that we face today. Many of the issues that we face today can be traced to these few verses here. And we find in this passage, we find the problem, the, the first problem in the whole of the universe. We find the problem illustrated. We find the problem solved by God himself. And we find the problem memorialized. And we'll look at those in the next couple of weeks. But there's underlying issues that are, that are fundamental here uh, to, this, to this passage. That this passage helps us to answer and helps us to, to, to grasp. And that's gender dysphoria that we have today. 
And that's homosexuality that we have today. And, and the trans community, the feminism, uh, celibacy, toxic masculinity, even theistic evolution. They're, they're all addressed here. And we don't realize that because we kind of take these things for granted. But these things, folks, these are basic things that the world is trying to throw off. And it looks foolish in the process. So let's look. Here's the, the, the problem. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, notice the timeline here, the chronology. This is on the sixth day. God had already created the animals on the fifth and sixth day. He creates man. He then creates a place for man and puts man into the garden. God then gives Adam a job description. Here's what you're going to be doing. Here's what not to do. And then... He now is pointing out a problem. The garden needs a hostess. There's no hostess for this garden. Now, I also want you to notice that God is the one that points out the problem. Adam is not complaining. Adam is not the one who who senses even the need here. In fact, in this day, probably Adam hadn't even had a chance to feel like he's alone. And so God points out this problem for Adam and shows him this circumstances. God is fully aware, fully uh, in control of the situation. God has not messed up. He is, he is <clears throat> his creation. He has just not finished it yet. And you say, well, why is he doing this? Because he's bringing attention to Something that he wants Adam to see and he wants us to know as well. And that's why it's recorded in God's word. And he's actually drawing attention to the the very climax of his creation. Because the answer to, to this problem is an additional creation for him. And he's pointing out the need, pointing out the importance here. Uh, he's drawing attention to this. And, and God is going to do some special work. It's, it's kind of building up to almost like the drum roll here. God is the one who points out the problem and he articulates the problem. Now notice in verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. That's the problem. That man should be alone. That's it is not good that he, he, for him to go through life by himself. And the answer is, I'll make a helper. That's what he needs. It's a helper that's suitable for him. Now, the word helper there is an important word. We need to, we need to know that this word is, is kind of a broad terminology. It's, and it's not referring to somebody lesser than Adam. In fact, the way it's used in Scripture, it could be used of a servant uh, to help the master. It could be used of a, a neighbor helping another neighbor. But it could be used, and it is used in the New Testament, or in the Old Testament, of God helping man. And God becomes the helper. So there's, there's nothing, uh, slavish or subordinate, degrading about this term. She, for her to be a helper. She's not a lesser. She's, uh, she is an equal to Adam. 
She's a helper. Uh, and what does that mean? What is she going to be? What is she going to be doing? Uh, ladies, this really, if you think about it, this is the number one command for married ladies is to be that helper. So what do we do? What, what does Adam need here? Well, obviously, let me give you just three or four things. First of all, procreation, right? Adam cannot fulfill God's command to, to go and multiply, can he? Now, God could have designed a system in which he could have just, Adam could have just cloned himself at any time and, and they could have just, uh, worked together and fulfilled the project or whatever Adam was doing at the time. There's a need for a second gender. There's a a need for this thing. And when it's not just a cloning of Adam, not just Adam 1.0 or 1.2. This is is a a new creature, a female. Uh, Now, R.C. Sproul points out, when you interject then another gender here, you have two genders he says this is a learning opportunity. This is a, a school for learning on a daily basis. It's a, a practical joy. You, you, you learn the practical joy of appreciation. That other sex. That other, that other person. Appreciate because they're different. Guys, we know this, right? We know that our wives are different from us. Wives, you know that your husband's a little different. There's a difference there. And it's a learning opportunity. Learning for openness. Learning for honesty. Learning to, to serve one another. Learning for mutual dependence. Learning fidelity. It's a learning situation. It's, it's a growing. It's a, and it, it will, it's something that you will go through life always learning and always appreciating, appreciating what God has done here. So there's there's the procreation element. That's going to be help. That's part of the helping, but also just practically, right? Just work in the garden, an extra pair of hands, maybe a sounding board. Adam comes to Eve and say, "Hey, what about this? What do you think about that?" I, I do this all the time with uh, you know, people that come into my office or whatever. I I, I throw ideas off of them, just as uh, a sounding board to to kind of refine. Th- are thinking. Men, you know what I'm talking about. I'm redoing a shower right now in our in our bathroom and and man, I've watched so many videos and I've I've uh, thought through and I've talked to so many people before I even start because I want to know what I'm doing and I want to think through those things. So Eve will be that will be part of the helping element. And then just companionship. Just companionship. Man needed someone with the same physical makeup of of himself to just come alongside. Just just for companion, just comfort and care for and to provide for and protect. And someone to to just uh, express love to. Someone to to please, to, to carry on the conversation of life with. It's just someone to have a companion, a friend. Adam needed a helper. He needed a helper. Now, 
Let me point out here that Adam, this points out an inadequacy in Adam. Okay? Adam, in and of himself, is not complete without an Eve. It wasn't enough. He needed, to, he needed her to, to be complete. He needed that helper. So this is not pointing out so much Eve's deficiency or, or her being under Adam as much as it is pointing out Adam's deficiency. He, he is a needy man in and of himself. And he doesn't just need a clone, another man to play video games with. No, he needs a female. And so the woman was made by God to meet Adam's deficiency. Now we need to understand that that has to be the proper perspective. You can twist these things, and the world does, twist it to make it something strange or something Wrong, immoral, that kind of thing. And, it, and it's not at all. So let me point out some principles here. In, uh, in the text here, it literally says, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper for him, suitable for him. And the point is, to, for him. The, the lack is in him. The deficiency is in him. He needs something in and of himself. And so I'm going to complete him now. Um. And Paul picks up on that in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, for indeed the man was not made for the woman, but for the woman's sake, but woman for man's sake. Pointing out the deficiency there. He was incomplete. Now, what does that mean? That's humbling. (laughs) That's humbling. I think I can go into life and I don't need a wife. I don't need this helper. Eh, I'm good, God. I'm I'm okay. That's foolish thinking, isn't it? When we lived in Hershey, we'd go to Hershey Park every once in a while. And, um, and there'd be these birds. They're peacocks, okay? And they're scrawny little things when, they're just, when they don't have their feathers, uh, feathers up, right? And you look at them and what are those things? And then they put their feathers up and they think, oh, wow, they're pretty cool. And, and, and that's the way men go around sometimes. They've got their feathers up. Look at me. I'm the greatest thing in the world. And when you put those feathers in, those are just feathers. Those don't mean a thing. You put those feathers in. This is humbling. There is no room for this kind of masculinity today that, that just puts all the attention on the man. That's foolish. The Bible doesn't do that at all. They were both equal. They are um, uh, both in the image of God, they're just playing two different roles. Man has no right to, to throw out his feathers and say, look at this. Foolish. It's not a biblical perspective at all. Another point here is, uh, is the perspective here. He doesn't say, now I'll make a friend for Adam. Or I'll make a slave for Adam. No, I'm going to make a, a helper suitable for him. Uh, a helper, that's the terminology that's used. Because Adam's focus is on fulfilling God's will. Not just on a friendship that, that's needed, that's good. But what Adam needs is, is in his focus, is um, a helper 
to complete what God wants him to do, he needs this helper. Adam is to be task-oriented. He, he was a doer. He was made to do. His focus was the garden, and he was to accomplish things in that garden. Uh, that relationship is, is good, and that relationship is, is necessary. He needs that helper. But the focus, when they come together, there's a unity there, and they're, they're tackling the, the problems of life together. The, the accomplishment that God wants them to do to, together. And Adam then is responsible for that. So often, man, you know, I, when uh, we were in college, there was the, the, there'd be these dating couples and man, all they would do is just look at each other. I mean, nose to nose. Because this is at Appalachian Bible College. You couldn't touch, but boy, you could sit really close, you know. And, and it's like they would just be there. That like that's the only thing is to gaze into each other's eyes. That's nice, but you got to get out and accomplish something. God has given us a, a task to do, and, and you come together and you have that relationship and you tackle the world together. That's the idea here. And so the perspective is from, he's a, she's a helper. She's going to help him tackle this world. And he is not capable of doing it himself. And she's going to come along and helping, helping, and to help him. That's the perspective here. That's what the text is, is saying here. Task-oriented. Another element here is the, the element of authority. And, and it's pulled up in the, in the verse that I read early, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Paul uses it. It's one of those building blocks for life, for family. And that's the idea that Adam has the authority. He is the one in charge. Now, he, our world likes to twist this because we live in a world that that wants control that wants authority that thinks that that's all that there is is the control and the glory of of authority and all the power that comes with that but when you look at scripture it's not about the power it's really not it's about the responsibility of standing before god god created adam and he designed adam to, to handle the heavy weight of responsibility to stand before God. What did you get done today, Adam? Stand before God. Here's what I did. And, and she comes along and, and helps him with that. She was designed not to take the bulk of the, the work, but, but to help and, and to compliment Adam. Now, this whole idea of authority being just to, to, to glorify self and to look at me and I want control and I want power. That is not, that is not a biblical understanding of authority. It's just not. It's all about, when you look in Scripture, it's about responsibility. Who is responsible here? And that's what you see. And to accomplish this task, someone is going to stand before the Lord and give an account. Now, the world twists that. Like I said, they they don't have a biblical understanding of authority. And they don't, you know, right now we have two worldviews. And they're both fighting for authority. Who's going to get control? We have to be very careful about having 
uh, ungodly view of authority. And then one last little element here is that she will be fit for him. And I love that. There's some translation says uh, in the NASB, it says um, um, suitable, the word suitable. You, you might see the word match, perfect match for uh, for him, uh, compatible with him, uh, uh, corresponding to him, fit, suitable, someone that's like him. And, and I think you get the idea. It's kind of like hand in glove. Just a perfect match. There's deficiencies on one side, and and she's going to make up for those deficiencies on the other side. It's just a a perfect fit. Now, this is called, in Scripture, not the biblical terminology, but but we have to label this as something, and and it's labeled complementarianism. That's what we've had to label it, okay? The theological terminology. As opposed to... Egalitarianism. Just the, just the fact, well, they're, they're equal. Now, they, they are, before Christ, everyone is equal. There's no male, female, slave, free man. We're all equal before God. But complementarianism allows for the authority element. Because they have, both have responsibilities before God to fulfill the certain roles. And it's complementarianism. So, I just want to point that out. Another thing that you need to notice that is that both sex are needed. He could have he could have just like I said made a uh, uh, a cloning device where you just go in. Man, I'm going to need uh, I'm going to need three people to do this uh, big job tomorrow. So I'm going to go and clone myself and, and do it that way. No, not at all. Two sexes, two sexes. Now is that elementary to our worldview? It is. Not five sexes, not five genders. Another thing that we need to know is that celibacy is not commanded in Scripture. It's a gift. Some men have the gift of celibacy, not not getting married. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse seven. That's a gift from the Lord, and and Paul Paul was able to to be free from uh, the encumbrances of of family life, and so he was able to travel. But then the Old Testament, the high priest got married. Listen, folks, the Pope is wrong on this issue. The Pope is wrong. Marriage, there's nothing holy about celibacy. In fact, if you look at the Catholic Church, it, it leads to unholiness most of the time. So we need to keep that in mind. Just by way of application and framing up these things. So that's the problem. The problem is that Adam is alone. He needs a helper that's suitable for him, that complements him, and they come together as one. They tackle the world as one unit. They come and are able to accomplish what God wants them to accomplish. Now, let's look at the problem illustrated here. We'll just move quickly through verse 19 and 20. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man. To see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creatures, that was his name. Showing authority. Now, Adam was to to have dominion over these animals. And so one of the elements of that is they would is that God would parade them through, probably male and female. And Adam is evaluating these animals and gives the animals 
opportunity to, to come close to Adam. Adam can evaluate them and say, this is, this is a dog. This is a cat. This is an elephant. This is a giraffe. And label them. Now, maybe not down to the very subspecies that we might see, all the species that we see today, probably broader category uh, of these animals. And, um, but he had that authority to label and to call these animals what, what he would want to call them. And that was their name. Now, notice, though, it says out of the ground. And I, I've got to point this out. I don't want to take up too much time here. But I want to remind you of the Toledoth. That's a term that you need to just be familiar with in the Old Testament, the Toledoth. And the, the, the uh, book of Genesis would be outlined by this Toledoth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, if you look back. The, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What came out of God? God created everything, right? If you go to uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 4... This is the account of the heavens and the earth. What did the earth, heavens, and, and what did they produce? Well, God took the earth, this ground, this dirt, dust, and he created all of the animals. And that's what you see here. Even man. Man is a part of that. If you look over Genesis chapter 5. And what we're doing is basically outlining the whole book of Genesis. And you can do this. Genesis chapter 5. This is the... Book of the generation, the Toledoth, if you will, of Adam. This is what Adam produces. So we see what God produced. You see what the, the earth uh, was produced by the earth. And then you see what Adam produced. And then if you go over to chapter 10, after you go through the flood, uh, verse 10, chapter 10, verse 1, now these are the records of the generation of Ham, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah. This is what they produce. And then it goes into the table of nations. This is, this is just an outline. And so some people will look at this in verse 19 and say, see, this is a, a second um, creation account that somebody else besides Moses was giving here. But that's reading way too much into this. This is just, this is just part of the flow. This is the, the sixth day. And God had already created, it's already in, in past tense, He had created these things, and now He's parading these animals before Adam. So don't, don't try to uh, make this say that this is some kind of second creation account. It's not anything like that. But what it does point out is that man shares the same dust as the, as the animals. We have to share the same universe. And, and, you know, people are shocked when they find out that animals and men have much of the same DNA. And they're very similar in so many, so many ways. Because we, we share the same dust. We share the same uh, elementary materials that are made up in this universe. So there's really should be no surprise, but, but evolutionists like to throw that in there so that it, it kind of uh, throws us off. And, but th- that's not a surprise to us. Adam has superiority. Adam names these animals. We, we share the same, many of the, much of the same DNA. God then allows Adam to name these animals. Uh, and he notices male and female. And what he, what you have here is these moving creatures. 
It's really interesting. They, they don't look like Adam. They, they don't share the same kind of even skin. Um, and, and they're just not suitable. In fact, it says it is not found suitable for him. Out of all of those animals, and it points out that it's just the very aloneness that Adam may have experienced at that time when it dawned on him, I'm alone here. Everybody else has, has a, a partner. I, I don't have a partner here. So these moving creatures are just not, they don't fit. You may call them animatronic beings. Because there's no soul there. There's no spiritual connection there. You know, to sit down and appreciate the sunset, sit down and appreciate the things that God has created. He needed another person, another being. So you might have, you might at that moment when God pointed these things out to Adam, he might have sensed this great deep longing. Yeah, there, there is something missing here. God wanted to point that out. And it requires then God to create another being. And, and it's, it's just drum roll up to this, this dramatic moment here. And Adam was being prepared for his bride, his wife, this gift that God was going to give him. And by becoming a, aware of his own lack, his own need there, creates this climax of this woman being created. It's a beautiful picture. And it needs to be seen. This had to be illustrated for Adam. He needed to see this, to, to learn this, to experience this. He couldn't just be told. He needed to see, I need that woman. I need that person in my life. And that's exactly what God wanted him to, to draw, conclude. Now, we as Christians then need to act on this knowledge. Christ did. Paul did. He acted upon this knowledge. These are not just stories. This is truth that formulates our worldview. Okay? We need to keep in mind that. This is truth. This is reality. This is the way things really are. Any derivation of this is not true. And I want to point out Romans chapter 1, just quickly. Romans chapter 1, verse 28, 24 to 20, uh, 26. Romans chapter 1, verse 24 says, Therefore, God gave them over to, uh, gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity. So they've decided to, to, Pursue ungodliness in the lust of their heart and their, and their, with their bodies so that their bodies would be, uh, dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And that's what's happening today. This is where it is. They're exchanging the truth of God. What would that be? Two genders. Male, female. Uh, marriage. Family, they exchanged the, the truth of God, what God laid out in reality, they exchanged that for a lie, and they worshipped the, and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. 
for the reason, for this reason then, so they're choosing to go down this road, that's the passions of their life, their passions of their heart, they're choosing to go down this road, for this reason then God gave them on, over to a depraved passions. And ultimately in verse 28, a depraved mind. That they could no longer tell up from down. They could no longer tell from good from evil. And they begin to call evil good and good evil. Folks, that's where we are today. And it's choosing to exclude God and the realities of God. And choosing to go down their own path and to the point that they cannot any longer now discern. Discern. God has given them over to a depraved mind. So that means they no longer see reality as reality. Now what is that called? When you no longer see reality as reality, that's insanity. Okay? Now just think about that. You're, you're, you're refusing to accept reality and choosing to go your own path. That's just dumb. That's stupidity. Or that's just illogical. And they're just pretending. They're making up this world and they're pretending that this exists and, and they're just ignoring this reality. Folks, that's what's happening today. We need to be aware of that. Because here's what the deal is. They want us to pretend with them. They want us to join in their worldview. Now, take a, there's a, a little bulletin insert in your bulletin. Take that out. I want you to see this. Um, you have two completely different realities. They cannot coexist. They cannot coexist. Two completely different realities. Trying to make up a reality. And, and then there's the real reality. So what has to happen to, to dominate, they have to criminalize our reality. So, this uh, little statement in here, this is a, a law that was enacted by Canada just uh, just a few weeks ago. It came into effect, I think it was on June or January the 8th. And uh, this is this is the part of now the criminal code. If you look at the summary there, the, these are the following offenses. So here's here let me just articulate these here. Read these in verse uh, letter A there is causing another person to undergo um, Conversion therapy. We'll look at that in a minute. Conversion therapy. But you get the idea that conversion therapy, that's pretty bad. You're causing somebody to go undergo conversion therapy. B is doing anything for the purpose of removing a child. So even children from Canada, if you take them outside, go to the United States to help them or, or to, to, uh, have them undergo this conversion therapy outside of Canada, that's wrong too. That's an offense. C, is promoting and advertising conversion therapy. You don't even promote it. Don't even advertise conversion therapy. D, is receiving financial, basically, kickbacks. That's illegal. You say, oh, man, this conversion therapy must be terrible. What is it? Look on the, the back side. And they define conversion therapy for us. Conversion therapy means a practice treatment or service designed to 
A, change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexuality. And that's heterosexuality. What is that? If you look over at the bottom, I, I tried to define this for you. Heterosexuality is sexual attraction to a person of the opposite sex. That's just normal. And what I would say is change a person's sexual orientation back to normal. <laughs> they're in the wrong, they're in the, and we're trying to help them to go back to normal. When they don't put it that way, they're, they're, this is designed to deceive and confuse. B is to charge, uh, change a person, change a person's gender, gender identity to cisgender. You say, well, what's cisgender? That sounds terrible. Yeah, I don't want to change. Cisgender, if you look at the top of the page, they're a person whose sense of personal identity and gender corresponds with their birth sex. All it's saying is just the way you are. They call it cisgender. It's designed, the terminology is designed to confuse and to deceive us. The C, charge a person of gender, expresses so that uh, it conforms to a sex uh, to the sex assigned to the person at birth listen if i go in and i help to counsel you back from a life of transgenderism or help you in your gender confusion or take my son out into america to try to uh, to get some counsel for him i'm in violation I'm in violation. You can read the rest of them there. The, the thinking is what is really interesting. If you look on the preamble, here's the thinking behind it. Um, whereas conversion therapy causes harm to society because, among other things, it is based on and propagates myths. Myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression. Including the myth, it's a myth now, that heterosexuality, what is that now? It's just plain, ordinary, being attracted to the opposite sex. Heterosexual. Cisgender identity and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth. You know what? When you were born, they put on your birth certificate male or female. If we try to go back to that and say, hey, you're male, because it says here on this, that's illegal. Now, I'm not, you know, this is Canada. You say, what does that have to do with us? The same kind of convoluted thinking, folks, that is to the north of us is here, too. They're just a little bit ahead of us. Now, they would say, oh, you guys are believing in this fairy tale of Scripture. And we say, no, you're accepting a fairy tale. You're going into a life that is illogical. You're going into the, the pretend world. We're not into the pretend world. We, our principles match reality. Your principles don't match reality. In a society that goes against God's principles continuously goes against the principles of God's Word, is not going to be bettered. They put this in the, in the, the, under the guise of we're doing harm to society by holding up these, these very basic principles of gender. 
basic principles of authority and submission in the home, basic principles of, of wife, husband. And they want to say, no, that's not right. That's a myth. That's a stereotype. Folks, what we have entered into is a world that's been given over to a depraved mind. God has given them over to a depraved mind. So what do we do? Just quickly. We have to stand, right? We cannot pretend with them. We cannot pretend that that this, this woman who really looks like a man is breaking all of these female records in the, in the swimming events. We have to pretend. And we can't really do that. We have to be gracious. Do we attack it on a law level? Well, if we have the opportunity, if we can do that, if you're a lawmaker and you have the opportunity to do that. But I, I think the, the most important thing that we can do is just on the on a public level, just point out how silly this really is. Just point out that this is going into insanity. It doesn't really match reality, does it? And our worldview establishes a reality because it it pulls in God. It includes God. It's just the reality. It's not we're we're not making this up. It's just the way it is. Just the way it is. And everything that we do, folks, has eternal consequences. The life that we live, the life that we live, is a, a light to this world. And what Josh read, the passage that Josh read for us, talked about being persecuted for righteousness. And we think, oh yeah, I'll be persecuted for the gospel. I'll stand up and I'll preach the gospel. But will you be persecuted for standing for righteousness? Just that righteous life, it's before even the gospel has a chance. Just that standing for righteousness. That's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. We have to stand and hold to this word. And it's going to change, it's going to shake, I think, the church in America. It's going to shake some people out of the church. But people that are holding to it, those are the ones that I, I believe that understand what's going on, but they understand the reality of God. The reality of Salvation, the reality of grace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, Father, we look at these things going on in our world and we feel so helpless. We feel like, what can we do? Um, but Lord, what goes around comes around. We know that kind of thinking is already probably in our midst. Lord, help us to exalt masculinity. Not to the point of silliness or help us to exalt just femininity. Lord, you made two genders. You made us male and female by your design. Lord, what a wonderful design. And try to change that is is to try to change the very fabric of who we are. And and it's just impossible to do. So, Lord, we, we, we are confused by this world, but we, we look at Scripture, we go back to Scripture, and we say, yeah, it makes sense. We see what's going on here. Lord, help us to just stand. 
by faith, trusting you. Trusting your word. These, these stories that lay down a foundation for us of reality. Help us to hold to those. And not cave. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.